0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures, as always, so join me in the word of God to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We've been in uh, the synoptics for recent episodes. We're returning now to the Gospel of John as uh, episode 41 and 42 will bring to a conclusion the last Judean and Perian ministry of Jesus. These are the final two episodes, and we're even actually bringing in some elements um, out of the synoptics, out of Matthew and Mark, um, that will do us some favors for the uh, episode 15 in the final week at Jerusalem uh, section as well. And I'll explain that when we get to, uh, to that point of our study here today. We're really dealing with the overlap at the end of chapter 11 and the first part of chapter 12. And so we'll be doing a lot of crossing over back and forth uh, between them. And uh, as well as bringing in the, the passages out of Matthew and Mark as, uh, as they parallel the dinner events here in uh, in Bethany. All right, before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer to make sure that as believer priests, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that distractions are set aside. I know there's a thousand things going on and, and uh, there's a hundred thousand things that will be going on this afternoon let's just uh, forget all of that let's just uh, set aside the distractions take every thought captive identify that this uh, this is our grace provision here today shall we pray most gracious heavenly father we thank you for the truth of your word and the privilege and blessing we have to assemble together father we thank you for uh, all of the ways that your word uh, shines forth and bears fruit accomplishes your work father you magnify magnified your word in accordance with your very name and we thank you for that father i pray that we would have the same attitude towards your word that you have towards it in magnifying it and worshiping it and uh, father um, We're so blessed and we have uh, such teaching available to us. Sometimes we, we forget how unique it is, how powerful it is, how blessed we are. We take it for granted, Father, and we should never take it for granted. So we thank you that once again today, this is our grace provision. We can humble ourselves. We can receive instruction. We need your instruction, Father. And I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, John chapter 11. Now, the outline tells me to pick up in verse 55 but I think I would be a little bit awkward in doing that if we did not uh, look at some of the uh, context prior to that. Remember in John chapter 11, we got the resurrection of Lazarus and raising Lazarus from the dead then uh, had some consequences with it. And uh, the Lazarus uh, material coming to an end in verse 44 and then the consequences in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him, But some went on to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. (laughs) You know, they're saying that like it's a problem. All right. I I think it'd be great if all six billion people on the planet today came to faith in Jesus Christ. What a blessing that would be. Um well, they, they view that as a problem uh, because then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And, he, of course, you know what comes first is their place, their uh, position, their authority, their prestige, the, the uh, uh, control that they had over the Jewish people by sitting in the seat of Moses and, and sitting in judgment as Pharisees over the uh, Sanhedrin and over the Jewish people in their religious life. So that goes first. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, our nation will also be destroyed. And that's that's bad, too. Okay. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, uh, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. And he uh, says, you know, there's a simple solution. We just have to murder this Jesus guy. And then we deliver the nation. And, of course, we save our own necks and we, we keep our nice cushy responsibilities i find it interesting though that he was speaking under the utterance of the holy spirit that he was communicating truth even though he didn't know it to be truth it is very much proper that one man die on behalf of everyone Uh, in the father's plan that's a glory it's a point of wisdom that one can die on behalf of everybody and one dies that we might have eternal life what a glorious truth of course this unbeliever doesn't realize he's he's speaking truth So he did not say this on his own initiative but being high priest that year. He prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And that's true. And not only for the nation only, as the Jewish nation, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And, of course, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We're all one body in Christ. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. It had been their intention all along, even prior to this, for six months or more, Uh, But at this point, they have uh, ramped up their intention to not only do it, but to do it as quickly as possible. Therefore, Jesus no longer continued to walk publicly among the Jews, but went away from there to the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. So this is it's been a while since we've been in the Gospel of John. Like I say, we've been in Luke. We've been elsewhere going through some of these more recent episodes. Now, at this point, uh, he has gone through Jericho. He is returning back to Jerusalem, and in order to uh, arrive to Jerusalem up that road from Jericho, he's going to be passing through Bethany, the very same Bethany again where he had raised uh, Lazarus from the dead. And so that's what brings us to our uh, our episode today. So John 11:55. Now the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. And we'll discuss this. Uh, so they were seeking uh, for Jesus and they were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think that he will not come to this feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. They have the immediate arrest orders as soon as his whereabouts are known They would much rather grab him in one of the outlying towns. They would much rather grab him um, in secret, under cover of darkness, before he actually makes it all the way to Jerusalem, before he's in the center of the temple and all the crowds in full public view. Um, Kind of uh, routine for the workers of darkness. They would much rather do their skull dudgery out of the public eye, out of the limelight, where they can uh, uh, presumably get away with it with some plausible deniability therefore jesus this is chapter 12 then in verse 1 jesus therefore six days before the passover came to bethany where lazarus was whom jesus had raised from the dead all right six days before passover means six days before the cross all right we are now at the point as we've as this is the final two episodes in the last judean and Prian ministry we are approaching the passion week this is saturday tomorrow will be sunday which will begin the Passion Week. All right, so we are now six days before Passover, six days before the cross, uh, eight days before uh, Easter Sunday, as we call it, Resurrection Sunday, a better name for it. And uh, we'll have both the Saturday and the Sunday in view in this section. Um, When we get down to verses 9 through 11, I believe those events are all on the following day, on Sunday Sunday. And then uh, on, when we get to John 12, 12, on the next day, I believe that is to be Monday, Palm Monday, that uh, they enter into Jerusalem with the children singing Hosanna and all of the excitement that, uh, that comes along with that. So we'll, we'll spell that out for you. We're going to be taking day by day by day in the Passion Week. We're going to outline the different approaches to the cross. I, I do hold to the Friday crucifixion. I understand there are Thursday crucifixion folks out there and Wednesday crucifixion folks out there. But I believe that uh, Friday is not only the traditional date. It is the best date, the only date that uh, accounts for all of the different descriptions for uh, being raised on the third day. And we'll we'll talk about that as well. All right. Anyway, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's uh, simply back up a little bit and understand the reference to Passover here that starts the whole thing off in verse 55. Verse 55. This is the third explicit reference to Passover in the Gospel of John. This is the third explicit reference to Passover. There's another implicit reference. But there are three explicit references to Passover in the Gospel of John. We're thankful for those. John 2.13 is the first. John 6.4 is the second. Um, the one that's not explicitly called Passover, it is called a feast of the Jews that features a uh, journey to Jerusalem is in John five, one. And then the fourth is this one here in John 11:55. 55. So you can list this all as point one in your notes. This is the third explicit reference to Passover in John and the fourth since his public ministry began. That's why we view him as having a three and a half year public ministry. Three and a half years, that will encompass four Passovers. Passover is always in the spring, always um, the 14th of Nisan in the Jewish calendar. We'll probably have some calendar studies coming up, the distinctions between the Jewish calendar and, um, and uh, our calendar, for example, just so we can relate to it and understand uh, the, uh, the seasons for what they are. But Passover is always in the spring, what we think of as the spring. Uh, it always begins uh, there with the vernal equinox, and we'll talk about that and how they adjusted their calendar based on the seasons and uh, and so forth. Um, there are those who don't believe that John 5.1 is a Passover feast because the, the word Passover is not found there. Uh, they think it was some other kind of feast. They can't seem to agree on what feast it might have been if it was not a Passover feast. And uh, plus, if there's only three Passovers and you have a two-and-a-half-year ministry, Uh, There there really seems to be too much material uh, shoved into one year. uh, Whereas if you accept that John 5.1 is also a Passover, and and as we've gone through this chronology, I think, we've seen how the material balances out much better, that we have a much more even distribution of episodes, much more even distribution of events, and uh, and it helps to have that, that fourth Passover in there. By the way, there are even some, uh, that, that believe the ministry could have been as much as five or six years long, in which case all four of these are explicit Passovers, and there were a couple of others that aren't spelled out as well. And I, I'm not convinced, but I have looked at those uh, studies. In fact, very recently, one that there's a lot of uh, you've got to give a lot of credit to the work that's been done. A guy named Cheney that did the life of Christ in stereo, and I appreciate it, um, but I'm not convinced that his his uh, harmony is any better than this one. I think this one's the best harmony we have to work with. Well, well, we'll do more on that. We're going to spend a lot of time on the Passion Week, but we, we did a little bit, I don't know if you remember, at the resurrection of Lazarus, how uh, he was raised, uh, and we talked about three days and three nights in the belly of the, of the earth, as, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, and what's the difference between three days and three nights and on the third day, and uh, we, we did a lot of work on that. We'll come back to that. I hope that that made sense for you at the time, so it'll make sense when we look at it again, that it, to us, it's unusual. We would think after three days means on the fourth day. That's our way of thinking. Right. But in their way of thinking, after three days was the same as on the third day and three days and three nights was the same as after three days or on the third day. They use them idiomatically all to represent uh, the same thing of the third day. And uh, that's how we go from Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We have three days and uh, no issues on that. Um, Anyway, John's good for this. We're thankful to have the Gospel of John. Uh, We're dependent on the Gospel of John for many of these time references because if all we had were the synoptics, and that's all they had for many years, uh, they had three recorded Gospels until John wrote his Gospel uh, a couple decades after that. But uh, in the synoptic Gospels, we don't have these time references to the repeated Passover events. And so we would be left uh, really not knowing his ministries more than about a year or so or a year and a half. Uh, We don't have one Passover mentioned in the synoptic gospel. So we are thankful for the gospel of John to give us this uh, this uh, context. Secondly, now, ceremonial purification, ceremonial purification was a significant preparation for Passover observance. And in many cases, an entire week would be spent doing this. They would have to arrive in Jerusalem extra early because there's defilements on the road. There's defilements on the way. They might pass through a Samaritan territory and be defiled. They might pass through a cemetery. They might pass through. They might just encounter something on the road. Uh, they may be traveling on the road and, and something would happen to their beast and uh, their, their, their animal dies. And Anything that would happen that would defile them, you understand. And so it would be good to get there early. It's like, you know, anywhere I go, I want to be there 20 minutes early. If I'm not there 20 minutes early, then I'm late. All right, because I just want to make sure that I'm there and that the doors are open, the lights are on, the the coffee's made, the the projector works. And if you're you're not there uh, early, then you can't be sure that the preparations will be ready. You can't just walk in at 9.59 for a 10 o'clock class. Well, (coughs) this is in modern times. Imagine under Levitical precepts. Uh, Let's turn back to Numbers chapter 9 and remind ourselves on some of these things. Numbers chapter 9. And it's important we understand this has nothing to do with hygiene, okay? Clean and unclean has nothing to do with the uh, sanitation of anything. It, is a, it has reference to ceremonial purity. Ceremonial purity. And the ceremonial purity should be a reflection of the reality, the purity of your soul, whether you are uh, holy before the Lord whether you are defiled in your soul, whether your, your heart is darkened and so forth. God, of course, is the only one who looks upon the heart. But in the ceremonial purity, they had external rituals that, that painted the picture for what the internal reality was. And it was very vivid. They had to maintain these, these uh, principles. All right, in Numbers chapter 9, Thus the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year. Uh, Nisan was their first month. This was, and uh, he was told, uh, when he brought them out of Egypt. He told them, "This will be your first month." They would start the calendar in the spring. In fact, it used to be that way uh, um, all over the place. They would start the the year with spring. And this whole January thing, starting the new year in winter, was a rather recent uh, Roman invention. All right. Verse 2 says, now let the sons of Israel observe the Passover at its appointed time on the 14th day of this month. On the 14th day. And we're going to go through all the detail on this because Jesus is our Passover. He dies on the 14th of Nisan. The Passover lamb is slain. There are other things that have to happen on the 10th of uh, the month. And we'll observe that too. Um But on the 14th day of this month at twilight, you shall observe it at its appointed time. You shall observe it according to all its statutes and according to all its ordinances. So Moses told the sons of Israel to observe the Passover. They observed the Passover on the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so the sons of Israel did. But there were some men who were unclean because of the dead person. So that they could not observe Passover on that day, so they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. I mean, what do you do if three days before Passover uh, your your animal dies, or your family member, and you got to bury uh, you got to bury somebody? Or what do you do if you're a soldier and you're involved in warfare? I mean, there's all kinds of things. Those men said to him, though we are unclean because of the dead person, why are we restrained from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the sons of Israel? And so Moses therefore said to them, wait, I will listen to what the Lord will command concerning you. And this was the the blessing they had with an Old Testament prophet. They had the opportunity to inquire of the Lord and a prophet could inquire of the Lord and get questions answered. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, if any one of you or your generations becomes unclean because of a dead person or is on a distant journey, he may, however, observe the Passover in the Lord in the second month. On the 14th day at twilight, they shall observe it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Uh, they shall leave none of it until morning. That's important, too. Uh, and this we'll, t- we'll discuss because there are actually um, discrepancies in some of the accounts that we have to recognize between Jesus and his disciples and the Sanhedrin and, and how they observed Passover in the different, uh, on the different days. That will come up when we get closer to the cross. Um, so here's more of the cleansing procedures here. And so they get a makeup date. Did you notice that if they were unclean in the first month on the 14th day, then the makeup date uh, for them, the alternative for them to uh, to observe remedial Passover uh, was on the 14th day of the second month. That's in verse 11 in the second month on the 14th day of twilight, they shall observe it. See, it's mandatory for everyone to observe. This is why purity was so important. and They would do everything they possibly could to be ceremonially pure to take it in that first month. But if there was nothing they could do about it, it was out of their control, then in God's grace, he provides for them a, a uh, remedial date the following month. All right, and then there's some other things here about the alien who sojourns among you and then the native and so forth. If you ever want to understand what our modern immigration uh, struggles are all about, just study the Old Testament about the alien who sojourns among you and what was expected of that alien living in the land that was not his land, uh, but he was expected to follow the law of this land as so far as he was going to reside within the boundaries of the land of promise. All right, so ceremonial purification. There were other things. Uh, what happens if, if you had a baby? You know, I mean, ladies, if you had a baby, you were left ceremonially unclean. and You were not permitted to partake of the, of the Passover or Feast of Tabernacles or Booths or any of the other uh, solemn assemblies and so forth. And uh, there would be a time for your purification, ceremonial uh, purification and so forth. Important considerations. All right. Back to John 11. The crowds were anxious to see whether Jesus was going to come or not. And uh, this is understandable. Let me get back to John. The crowds were anxious to see whether Jesus would come or not. And it's interesting that those that had a faith orientation and those that had a, uh, simply a uh, taste for um, sensationalism, a taste for the news and, and the latest buzz and all the excitement and uh, whatever it was that motivated their desire to see what was going to happen between Jesus and the Pharisees or what was going to happen here with the Sanhedrin who would already ordered his arrest and ordered his death. Uh, if you recall, at the, one year ago to this date, at the previous Passover, Jesus didn't go. It was the first one in his life that we know about where Jesus failed to appear at Jerusalem for the Passover. And instead, he crossed the Sea of Galilee, went up on the mountain, and fed 5,000. All right, the feeding of the 5,000 from John chapter 6. That was one Passover ago. Okay? One year ago, the previous Passover to this event. And it was a reflection of the growing hostility that they were even then seeking to put him to death, and he was not going to allow it. See? He was going to be obedient to the Father. He's going to die, but not he's not going to die one Passover too early. He actually cannot allow himself to be killed until the 69th 7 of Daniel's 77s is complete. And that's not going to happen until Palm Monday. So you understand, last year, had he died at Passover of 32 AD, it would have been too soon. Messiah the Prince is to be cut off, but not until 69 of the 7s are complete. And so uh, he avoids Jerusalem for that Passover in 32 AD, dying on Passover of 33 AD, as we, as I understand it, in the Gregorian calendar. Friday, April 3rd, 33 AD was the date of the cross. Now, I know there are folks that hold to a 30 or 32 crucifixion date. I have I, I, studied all of the chronologies on there's reasons for every one of those dates. I mean, there are good reasons for a 30 AD date or a 32 AD date. Um, but I believe that the reasons for the 33 are, are far and above better than the other dates, And so that's the one I work with. Uh, but whichever you go with, that's fine. But um, the point being, the year before the cross was a year too early. Whatever year you choose for the cross. OK, the year of the cross was precisely the year that it had to happen. He died in the at the fullness the consummation of the ages. He was given as a redemption for mankind. Also, uh, six months prior in the fall feast, remember, Israel had feasts in the spring and feasts in the fall. So you had the first month where Passover and unleavened bread was observed. And then weeks later, you had Pentecost in the fall. You have trumpets and the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. Those were in the seventh month. Those were in the fall. And uh, when that had happened, let me just give you these. John six. Verses three and four. This was Passover a year ago. (coughs) <coughs> after these things jesus went away to the other side of the sea of galilee a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick and jesus went up on the mountain and there sat down with his disciples on the passover the feast of the jews was near but he uh was not going to jerusalem he stays on this mountain and this is uh the long chapter where he talks about being the bread of heaven and goes into the Story here walks on water and then they chase him to the other side and he tells them you're uh, you're hungering after the wrong kind of bread. All right. So that was the the previous year where he did not go six months later from that event and six months prior to this event. In John chapter seven, you have the Feast of uh, Booths or Tabernacles, it's called. And uh, the brothers are trying to encourage him to go up. His unbelieving brothers are trying to encourage him to go up. Remember, Mary and Joseph had children after Jesus was born. Joseph only kept her a virgin until Jesus was born. And then um, she was no longer a virgin after that. And they had marital relations and children. At least four sons. At least two daughters. And... uh, In John 7, 3, his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see your works which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. And interesting, unbelievers have an idea how you can grow your ministry. (laughs) Unbelievers have an idea what you need to do in pursuit of ministry. And uh, his idea, well, the brothers were saying, hey, you've got to go up to Feast of Tabernacles. You've got to go up to Jerusalem. And it's remarkable because that's the, t- that's the sacrifice, that's the feast in which Messiah in the millennium is going to be acknowledged as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All the Gentiles will have to come and pay tribute to Jesus Christ at the Feast of Tabernacles. And his brothers are saying, go on up there and make a big splash. And Jesus said, my time is not yet here. It's not time to go to the Feast of Tabernacles and accept the worship of the Gentiles. He says, go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things, he staying in Galilee. But now notice, after his brothers went up, then he went up not publicly, but as if in secret. He goes up uh, quietly. He goes up uh, uh, incognito, we say, without a, uh, without a big splash, without a public... Uh, announcement of his arrival and there was much grumbling remember this there was much grumbling among the crowds i'm reading from john 7 12 concerning him some were saying he's a good man others were saying no on the contrary he leads the people astray yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the jews see jesus is pretty smart here he knows there's this arrest warrant out for him he knows that that they uh they're not happy with uh, the, the rulers want him dead and then in the midst of the feast, it's a seven, it's an eight day feast. And he comes up in the middle of it. and He starts to teach in the temple. And they're stunned. In verse 15, the Jews were then astonished, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? In other words, he didn't go to our schools. He doesn't have the degree from the feet of Shemael or the Hillel or Shammai. See, he didn't have the standard um, Pharisee education. and uh find it interesting this is by the way one of the key verses we use for our training ministry for our seminary we have the opportunity to train spiritual gifts and to and to put forth pastors and evangelists and believers with powerful training and the world might mock them and say well they've never been educated they don't have the seminary degree but they can sure feed a flock and they can sure glorify jesus christ and i appreciate that well, um, it's kind of interesting. You get down to verse 25 of this chapter. And some of the people started to figure out who he was. <laughs> and they, they said, is this not the man they're seeking to kill? <laughs> you know, boy, this guy's a powerful teacher. And then all of a sudden it dawns on "Well, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, he's a powerful teacher. This is the one that the scribes and the Pharisees want dead. See, because he didn't teach like any of them. He taught with authority. He taught with power. Look, he's speaking publicly. They're saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? So anyway, this was, this was at the Feast of Tabernacles last fall. And uh, they were seeking, it says in verse 30, to seize him. Yet no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And so uh, they were attempting to and all the information we have and the father didn't permit him. All right. Which brings us now to John 11 and the attitude here, the excitement. And some people, I think, just show up hoping to see something gruesome. They're not here in faith. They're here for the, spe- for the spectacle. You know, if, if, if he's going to get arrested, we want to see it kind of a thing. Or if he's, if he's going to slip away from their grasp again, we want to see that too. Oh, how fun to watch the Pharisees send out the soldiers and the soldiers show up trying to arrest him. And then they listen to him and the soldiers go back and say, this guy's an awesome teacher. And the Pharisees are pulling their hair out because the soldiers won't even uh, won't even execute the arrest warrant. And so in verses uh, 56 and 57 of John 11, they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood at the temple. So they were seeking for him. This is a crowd that's going to the temple and they're not going really to partake in Passover. I mean, that's the excuse. That's the occasion. But the real item they're looking for is to see if Jesus is going to show up. I think if there's true believers in this crowd, that's a positive motivation. But the indication is the bulk of this of this uh, crowd, these spectators are simply there for the the sensationalism of it all. So what do you think? Is he coming? Is he not coming? Is he going to be here? Is he not going to be here? You know, it's almost like the, uh, the, the, the parties today, you know, on Hollywood, and all the celebrities. And, and you, you're going where you can be seen and you're wondering, oh, is, is so-and-so going to show up? And if they do show up, who are they going to be with? And what are they going to be wearing? And, and how drunk are they going to be? And, you know, what other kind of scandal is going to happen? You know, the, the, it's the sensationalism of our culture. I almost want to stop calling it culture. You know, can I find another word for culture that reflects the fact that our culture doesn't seem to have much culture anymore? You can call it civilization, but that'd be a misnomer also. Not very civilized, is it? Oh, I'll work on that. See, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders. If anyone knew where he was, he was to report it that they might seize him. Immediate reporting, mandatory reporting requirements. And uh, they want to know. And and like I say, it's better if they can get them in one of the periphery towns, get them a half day out. You know, there were certain there were certain uh, during the feast, especially the boundaries were set. The boundaries were actually expanded to encompass the Mount of Olives, to encompass Bethany, so that these places were considered within the sacred boundaries of Jerusalem so that you could you could. Commute from Bethany to Jerusalem and not violate a Sabbath. You could; it was the boundaries were extended so that it was included within a Sabbath day's journey. Just because there were thousands and thousands, the city expanded from twenty thousand to hundred thousand people during the during the Passover. And so, um, anyway, wherever in the outskirts or in the inner city or wherever it is that he's found to be, they want to know about it so they can have him arrested. All right. So point four, then on Saturday, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. We can pinpoint this now as Nisan eight, the eighth day of Nisan. The Jews had a lunar calendar, lunar meaning uh, based on the moon. OK, so a monthly calendar. Uh, originally, they had um, 12 30 day months. And, um, in fact, everybody had 12 30-day months. Babylonians, Egyptians, um, the Jewish calendar, every calendar used to be 12 30-day months. And uh, my belief is that's what the rotation used to be, that uh, the the earth used to rotate around the earth every 360 days. And uh, the moon used to uh, cycle every 30 days. Uh, In about the 8th century B.C., there was tremendous upheaval, uh, in, on the earth, Uzziah's earthquake, and uh, even the heavens were shaken. And uh, I believe there was a, a fundamental change to the rotation of the earth's axis at that point. And so that from the 8th century B.C. onward then, uh, calendars started to go weird. And then Romans and Babylonians and Greeks and Persians and everybody started having Chinese. They all started to have to make adjustments to their calendars, and they all had a, just the Dickens of a time doing it even eight centuries later, they're still tweaking it, trying to figure out what the, what the, uh, the uh, intercalary days were going to be like. Even Julius Caesar, he's modifying the calendar to try to keep it uh, compatible with the seasons. He hated the fact that the months weren't matching up with the seasons, see. And so they all found different ways until they all finally eventually settled on a 365-day uh, plus or minus, and they all, even that had to be tweaked and so forth. And uh, the Jews decided to incorporate uh, leap months. They would just put in a second month here and there and and an extra month here and there. And and just that way they could make Nisan the first month of the year. And it was always the first full moon after the the spring equinox. That marked their new year, okay, as far as that goes. So anyway, this is Nisan 8. And Jesus comes to Bethany. So therefore, Jesus, uh, six days before Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, Bethany was the home of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. We knew that from the previous chapter. I believe these are sisters and their brother, Lazarus. Although it's, it's phrased kind of interesting in 11.1, One, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. So it may be that Mary and Martha are clearly sisters. Uh, I guess you could say it's debatable if Lazarus was their brother or not. I believe so. Because um, it says whose brother Lazarus was sick. Yes, yeah, so there's three siblings, two girls and a boy. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. We're told in verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off. It was just, you have Jerusalem and then the Kidron Valley to the east. And then across that valley was the Mount of Olives. And Bethany sat on the southeast corner of that Mount of Olives. I got a map, got a couple of maps. I no, don't do that. I got the strangest mouse. Okay. And so can I zoom that, I wonder? Uh oh. All right. Serves me right. I gotta buy a new mouse. Sometimes it won't click, and sometimes it clicks three times with a single click, and sometimes it just goes wild. All right. I can't zoom in, but it's in the bottom, Uh, the Dead Sea with Jericho just to the north of the Dead Sea. And then southwest of there coming up the valley, then you reach Bethany, the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem. Uh, So it's about two miles away. It's not far at all. You got and I'll get some better maps for you next week and have uh, zooming capacity. All right. Well, this just is not going to work. Bethany will be where Jesus will stay each night of the Passion Week. Uh, He's going to take up residency here for the next week. He's going to stay here at night. He's going to walk into Jerusalem each morning. But he'll be returning back to Bethany for the evening. And uh, we assume, or we don't know which house he's sleeping in. Uh, it's, It's simple to say, well, he stayed with Lazarus. But I think he probably moved from house to house, never stayed in the same house more than once. Uh, We do know when he has a dinner, the dinner is in the home of Simon, not in the home of Lazarus. But in Matthew 21, 17, we have an indication of this as well as Mark 11, verses 11 and 12. I think it's likely that he he stayed in a different house each night of the week and that uh, it was kept... uh, a little bit crafty. It was kept a little bit uh, unknown so that those that were seeking his uh, arrest uh, wouldn't know which house he was in. Uh, but in Matthew 21 in verses 12 through 16, you have the second cleansing of the temple. Remember he had done one early in his ministry. This is now one at the end of his ministry. And uh, in, during the Passion Week, he flips over tables and he drives out the money changers and so forth. And, um, Then uh, it says in verse 17, he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. And in the morning when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And this is when he curses the uh, the fig tree, Uh, something similar in Mark, chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple, and after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. On the next day, when they left Bethany, he became hungry and sang at a distance a fig tree. Um, so, there you have it, just like in Matthew 21. I think it gives us this idea of the commute that he was making each morning of the Passion Week, starting with the triumphal entry on Palm Monday, and then... Uh, Uh, Monday, returning back out to Bethany Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night is the last night he will sleep in Bethany. Because Thursday morning they go into Jerusalem on Thursday and prepare the Passover dinner in the upper room. And uh, they have a dinner that evening, Thursday night, in the upper room. He does not return to Bethany because he goes out then after dark, he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane for prayer. And uh, that's the night he's arrested. And so it's only Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night then uh, of the Passion Week that he's doing the commute back and forth from Bethany into um, Jerusalem. Bethany will also be the place of his ascension. Uh, The book of Acts is simply called the Mount of Olives, but in Luke 2450 is very specifically mentioned as being uh, the village of Bethany, which was located in the southeastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. Luke twenty four fifty. He led them out. Uh, this is when he tells them to uh, remain in Jerusalem, and um, got some other messages for them. I like the way it says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures in verse forty five, and. Uh, Some closing messages there. And then he says, I'm sending forth the promise of my father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So they go back and they're waiting for ten days later for when the Holy Spirit will descend at the day of Pentecost. Alright, so this is Bethany. As I say, I'll get a better map and we'll take a look at it again next week. Now, we get to a dinner. We get to a dinner being described in John 12, verses 2 through 8. And uh significant thing about this dinner is the role of Mary in uh anointing his uh his feet. And um the uh, fact that Judas is upset over the whole process. Now, there is a dinner that's mentioned here in John chapter 12, verses 2 through 8. It is recorded by Matthew and Mark. It is recorded by Matthew and Mark on Wednesday. Did it again. You'll note in these episodes, we don't list scriptures for Matthew or Mark. Uh, episode uh, 41 is the return to the home of Mary and Martha. That's John 11, uh, 55 through 12:8. And then episode 42 is the plot to kill Lazarus. That's John 12, verses 9 through 11. In our Harmony of the Gospels, there is no parallel text mentioned as per Matthew or Mark. All right. Anybody have a, uh, a harmony with them? Do you bring your harmonies to class? You leave them at home? Okay. We passed out a harmony like seven years ago when we started this study. I'm sure you still have it. If you don't, well, we'll get some other copies made up. OK, but there, there are no Matthew or, or Mark texts right there. And that's that's interesting because there is a parallel text to this dinner. The problem is, is that uh, John describes this dinner on Saturday, six days before the Passover. Matthew and Mark record this dinner on Wednesday, two days before the Passover. OK, now this is something that we got to be we've got to deal with because if our Bible has lies in it, we're in trouble. Uh, so is John right, Matthew and Mark are wrong, or Matthew and Mark right and John's wrong? This dinner where Mary anoints his feet, did this dinner happen on Saturday or did this dinner happen on Wednesday? Uh, I don't think you can say, well, it happened, or that it doesn't matter. Like, who cares? Yeah, I think all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. I think it does matter. All right. But because the uh, the discrepancy appears to be uh, the difference between six days and two days before the Passover uh, in the harmony that we've adapted, it is actually included as a separate event uh, called uh, episode 15 in the final week at Jerusalem. Episode 15, uh, where where Mary anoints uh, Jesus feet. Um, So let's look at it. Let's turn to Matthew 26 and I think uh, you'll see the um, the verses are parallel between Matthew and Mark. There's really no distinction there. John does not mention the name of Simon. Matthew and Mark do not mention Mary, Martha or Lazarus. And so because of that, um, folks think that there are two separate events. And it is conceivable that... that She anoints his feet each each every night at dinner and saves enough to last until the uh, until the the burial itself. That's also quite possible. But let's look at it because I think what happens here is that these are flashbacks. These are flashback scenes. So Matthew 26, six. And just so you understand, in Matthew twenty six. uh, he, he, he he gives the powerful messages of the Olivet Discourse in chapters 24 and 25. And then when he had finished all these words, he says to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over to the crucifixion. All right? After two days or on the second day. This is Wednesday. He's going to be crucified on Friday. And... Uh, The chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas. They plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying not during the festival. Otherwise, a riot might occur among the people. And that's why they want to try to get him at night if they can. They want to try to get him in Bethany or try to get him wherever they can, not during the festival. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany, verse 6, very important. When Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, the woman came to him with an alabaster vial, of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head and he reclined at the table. Um, now, interesting, in this account, it's not his feet, it's his head. So that is a difference. Uh, but his disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste? This perfume might have been sold for a high price and given to the poor. And okay? this, by the way, is the same argument in John 12. It's the same uh, problem that Judas had. He thought it was a waste of money. And you'll note, I listed this very specifically. I listed Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13, comma, verses 14 through 16. And I want you to put that break between 6 and 13 and 14 through 16. Don't just say Matthew 6, 6 through 16, okay? Because the difference is the dinner is verses 6 through 13, and Judas's contract is verses 14 through 16. I want you to spotlight this because it's identical in the Matthew record and the Mark record. In, in, in verses 6 through 13, you've got the dinner and the woman anointing Jesus with the costly perfume. And then the reaction to this. One of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver. All right. And so we have here the mention of the dinner and the waste of the perfume, followed by the account of Judas's betrayal. His contract for the betrayal. In 14 through 16. It's the same thing in Mark. The same exact pattern in Mark. Mark 14. You have the dinner in verses 3 through 9. And once again, it's the same time frame. Uh, we're told in 14.1, Mark 14.1, now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away. So we're talking about Wednesday, Nissan twelve. And then, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot among the people. And then verse 3, while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper. I think that statement's important. I think that statement is setting verse 3 in a different scope than verses 1 and 2. I think it's a flashback. Okay. I think that verses 1 and 2 are sequential. And then verse 10... Immediately follows verse 2, but the the flashback in verses 3 through 9 gives the context for why it was that Judas came and betrayed him. So again, we have the dinner in verses 3 through 9. It is in Bethany. It is the house of Simon the leper. Agreement with Matthew on that. Uh, Here comes a woman with the costly perfume and poured it over his head. And some uh, were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? It might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. And Jesus said, let her alone. She's doing something good. The poor you will have with you always. And we'll, we'll break down the doctrine on this here next week. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went out to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And they were glad when he heard this and promised to give him money. And he began seeking to betray him in an opportune time. So he contracts for the murder of Jesus on this event. In any way, uh, just key in on those expressions, particularly Matthew 26:14 and Mark 14:10, that there appears to be a break in the flow of those verses. I'm still in Mark 14, so let's just look at it. I, I believe there's a break there. You have in verse one, you have the mention of the Passover is two days away. So we have the time that's set in verse one. But then we have a different time that's mentioned in verse three while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper. Does that have to be the same as the, the time date on verse one? No, in fact, I think it would be unusual for it to be the time the same. If it was the same, why would it why would it be mentioned? OK. So I think that the language itself is showing us that there is a different time context there. So then we get back to John 12 and we look at this dinner again. And we see uh, in verses 2 through uh, 8, we have the detail on the dinner. We don't have a description of Judas going out and contracting for the arrest. But we do have Judas singled out as the one who was intending to betray him in verse 4. So we're told in verse two, they made him a supper there and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of, of pure nard and was anointing the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, there are distinctions between head and feet. And I understand that Matthew and Mark talk about the anointing of the head. John references the anointing of the feet. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? It's the same dollar value. It's the same amount. It's the same complaint. And he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And uh, as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was going into it. See, he was keeping two sets of books. So, yeah, he was going to sell the perfume and show all the disciples and say, hey, look at this, 300 denarii. And then when he goes to give it to the poor, he gives them, you know, 200 denarii and pockets the other 100, say, or whatever the breakdown was. Maybe he kept half or maybe he gave them 100 and kept 200, whatever his, his uh, skimmings were. He kept the two sets of books. So Jesus said, let her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. She may keep it for the day of my burial. Now notice, she's not using her whole supply, this this pound, uh, that's worth $300 an hour. She's not going to dump the entire thing over him on Saturday. Okay? Yeah, it would make for very interesting. Uh, <laughs> he would come into the, the, the triumphal entry on Palm Monday. They could smell him for, for miles because, of, you know, the whole... No, whatever the portion was for his head and for his feet, she had stuff left over for his burial a week later, five days, six days later. Okay. That's why I believe that this was her supply that she used every day, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Um, Thursday night. She didn't have the opportunity. He didn't come home for dinner Thursday night. He had dinner in the upper room. Okay. they all sat on the same side of the table and Leonardo made that painting. Okay. They were to figure out why are they all sitting on the same side of the table. But then, when pulled off the cross, and uh, wrapped by Joseph of Arimathea and laid in the tomb, then the following Saturday, uh, Mary and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of her Savior, a lot of these women were able then to go to the tomb early Sunday morning, and she still had some of this perfume left over. See of course, by the time she gets there on Sunday morning, it's too late. He's already gone, which we can uh, rejoice over. All right, so here's how I reconcile it. And we'll come back and give you more detail on this. But I believe that, uh, and, and there's different approaches. Uh, this is how you evaluate it. Are, are, do the similarities outweigh the differences? Or do the differences outweigh the similarities? Are there two events at work here? Were there two dinners? Um was it the same episode? I think it's the same episode. Um, and that when Matthew and Mark were recording it, that we're recording it as a flashback to describe the motivation for why Judas betrayed Jesus and signed the betrayal contract on Wednesday night. So I think in terms of chronology, John gives us the best chronology placing the dinner before the triumphal entry. I think it was a single dinner being described by Matthew, Mark, and John. John gives the best chronology... Placing the dinner before the triumphal entry, placing it on Saturday, Nisan 8, six days before the Passover. And that's the plain reading of John chapter 11 and John chapter 12 and the sequence of days that are mentioned there. Matthew and Mark describe a dinner, describe the very same dinner, but they describe it as a flashback in context for Judas's bargain. They describe it as a flashback in context for Judas's bargain. My abbreviations, by the way, um, I'm using the square brackets to reference the episodes in the Harmony of the Gospels as far as the study is concerned. So, for example, this is episode 41, Returns to the Home of Mary and Martha, uh, but it's the last Judean and Perian ministry, episode 41. The FW at J is the final week at Jerusalem. FW at J is final week at Jerusalem. And event 15 is the dinner. Event 16 is the uh, contract of uh, Judas for the betrayal of Jesus. And so uh, we're actually, when we get that far, we're not going to teach final week at Jerusalem episode 15. We're not going to teach it because we're teaching it right now. It's the same dinner. okay? It's just when it's mentioned in Matthew and Mark, it's mentioned as a flashback. It's mentioned as a, as a, as a context for why Judas is betrayed. We'll just go straight from 14 to 16 and be okay with it. When we reach the final week in Jerusalem and all the events that happen there. So any questions on that? Is that making sense? It's it's the same dinner that's being recorded by all three Gospels. Luke also records the dinner, but it's a different dinner. I'll show you that here in a moment. If you want, Luke does not detail this anointing, although he did previously describe a different occasion in the Galilean ministry. It was Galilean ministry episode 22, GM 22. And the scripture was Luke 7, verses 36 through 39. It was not during the Passion Week. It was not in Judea. It was in Galilee. It was months and months ago. It was, in fact, even more than a year ago. Galilean Ministry Episode 22 in Luke Chapter 7. It was a sinful woman. It was a harlot in the house of a Pharisee named Simon. But again, uh, there are folks that try to include this as well. They try to say that Mary was, was the harlot and blah, blah, blah. No. Mary was the sister of Martha. And uh, anyway, uh, the Luke 7 episode, Galilean Ministry 22, I think is a different episode. It did describe an anointing. It did describe a wiping feet with her hair. It did describe, uh, describe a woman that was just overwhelmed at forgiveness and love, and and was weeping and shedding tears and wiping his feet and and all of that. But it was a different occasion, a different story. It has it's not related to Mary, the sister of Martha, or the uh, the week of his, of his arrest. All right, so. This is, this is good, though. This is what we do in our Harmony of the Gospels. All right. This is how we track uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four Gospels talk about a woman wiping his feet. Okay. And we've got to reconcile them. Which ones are the same? Which ones are different? Why do Matthew and Mark say it happens on Wednesday and John says it happens on Saturday? And uh, why does Luke say it happens in Galilee and, and Matthew, Mark, and John all say it happens in Bethany? And so this is a, it's a, it's a good uh, illustration for all the work that you have to do if you're going to harmonize the gospel accounts and, and put them all together, and relate the ones that are identical and distinguish the ones that are not, okay, and keep things in a, in a sequence whereby uh, we validate every passage of Scripture because every passage is true. All right, so John gives the best chronology. The dinner actually takes place on Saturday. It's only mentioned by Matthew and Mark on Wednesday because Wednesday is the night that Judas contracts for the betrayal. And Wednesday is the night that he contracts for the betrayal. He bargains for the uh, 30 pieces of silver. And so uh, the dinner is described by Matthew and Mark on that night only to give the motivation for Judas in terms of the betrayal that takes place on Wednesday night. Any questions about that? Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. I think uh, it's simply a matter of what um, uh, the emphasis is in Matthew and Mark's gospel as opposed to John's gospel. I think that uh, she anointed both his head and his feet. Uh, But Mark uh, and Matthew are uh, emphasizing different aspects. Matthew, in fact, highlights Christ as king. And a king would be anointed uh, with oil on his head. And so it would be natural for Matthew to... um, to emphasize that instead of the feet. Right, I believe both. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? All right, we'll come back to this one week from today. Lord willing, we have to pending. We got points six, seven, and eight. Actually, we got some points uh, D and E. We didn't even get two under five. And then six, seven, and eight to wrap this up. And we'll be ready for the triumphal entry, be ready for Palm Monday, ready for the entry into Jerusalem and the children singing Hosanna and uh, how the humble recognize their King and their Savior and the prideful want them dead. And uh, everything that will take us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in this uh, powerful, powerful Passion Week. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for this life of Christ steady, Father, and Bringing the uh, last Judean and Prian ministry to a close, Father, is uh, is a significant milestone. It's, it's uh, almost as lengthy as the uh, Galilean ministry was. And uh, now the, the stage is set, Father, for the Passion Week, and we're eager to get into that. So, Father, uh, we just thank you for being faithful, guiding us through this study. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.